The Daikin Comfort Pros at Legacy Heating and Air are saving you thousands on select Daikin heating systems. Upgrade to a Daikin high-efficiency heating system from Legacy today and spend the season warm and worry-free. Get thousands in rebates and federal tax incentives and enjoy flexible financing to suit your budget. Daikin systems deliver unbeatable comfort, cleaner, safer indoor air, and energy savings. Visit LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com to view exclusive offers and get qualified now. A Cook Family Business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps. My name is Eric Hansen, just like the little tag says underneath. He's Tyler James. We're not tricking you, but we are bringing you lots of Notre Dame football conversation tonight on Football Never Sleeps, our weekly YouTube Notre Dame football show that runs generally Monday nights at 7, and we are back in that time slot this week after a little deviation for women's basketball last week, Notre Dame women's basketball. So we have a lot to talk about tonight. We've got recruiting. We've got new offensive coordinator, Mike Denbrock, who met with the media Friday. Max Bola, promoted linebackers coach, met with the media. And NBC changed its voice of the Irish. We'll talk about that, too, if we get around to it. But most importantly, we're going to mix in your questions with our conversation and your comments, especially if they're funny or complimentary. And Tyler James is here to tell you what else you need to know before we get started. Yes, the compliment round always works, um, as as perfected in Eric Hansen's live chat. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if, if you have comments, we want to hear from you. So please do that. Make sure you are supporting our YouTube channel as well. Make sure you subscribe to us on, on the channel. That's free to do. You can hit the bell for reminders for when we have content. Uh, you'll get sent out notifications and hit the like button on this video. Um, and then uh, you sending comments or questions also helps us appear in front of more eyeballs. So we appreciate you doing that. Even if it's late February, there's still plenty of football to discuss. Um, if you're new to YouTube and all those words don't mean a lot to you, um, but you would like to ask us a question, make sure you've clicked through to YouTube, whether it's on the, its website or an app of some sort. Um, and then you'll be able to access the chat box to enter questions. Um, it should be on the right-hand side. If you are on a desktop version of some sort, if you're on a mobile device, it should be below our talking heads. Um, and then lastly, before we get into our discussion, I want to remind folks that we have a 30-day free trial available to InsideEddieSports.com for those who want to subscribe to our site and haven't given us a try yet. You can use promo code NDYT, which is exclusive to our YouTube audience when you, when you sign up to get free access to our premium analysis recruiting coverage and special access to us over on the insider lounge where we spend a lot of our time with our subscribers on our message board and share our inside information there first and there should be a link to sign up for that deal in the video description below okay so today when it hit 66 degrees in south bend today and yes i'm rocking shorts today in <laughs> february we are taking stock of Notre Dame football after Mike Denbrock and Max Bolas meeting with the media, NBC changing its voice, and recruiting continuing to come more into focus, believe it or not, even with all these commitments and it being in late February. The Irish are bearing down on the start of spring practice, staging the first of 15 sessions on March 7th. They'll pause for spring break, which is the week of March 11th. And then restart the wrap-up to spring practice is the blue-gold game set for 1 o'clock Eastern time at Notre Dame Stadium. So our opening drive today is what we learned about two key pieces to the coaching equation in 2024, and that's Mike Denbrock, the new offensive coordinator and tight ends coach, and Max Boa, the promoted linebackers coach, formerly grad assistant in charge of linebackers. So let's start with Mike Denbrock. And since I know him a little bit better than you, Tyler, you were here for tour of duty number two, but not tour of duty number one. Was there anything that really surprised you that Mike Denbrock said on Friday? Um, I don't know that there was necessarily anything uh, surprising. I think it was, I guess maybe the one thing that I don't know that I would had given much thought to or would have expected him to say as flatly was that he wasn't necessarily interested in being a head coach at any point anymore. Um, and that was like, oh, okay. I mean, I guess that makes sense giving someone of his age and 
um, sort of the the way he's where he's carved his career, but um, it, it certainly isn't something that would be impossible for him to be a, become a first time head coach here still in his career. And he, he sort of flatly said that. Um, I thought that was maybe the most surprising. Um, there were a lot of interesting things he certainly said. Um, I know you were excited to get to talk to him. So, so excited that you didn't even realize that we were also going to be talking to Max Bolo when they told us we were talking yeah. to both of them. So what were your biggest takeaways from, from the conversation with Mike? My most significant takeaways is why he came back and how he'll go about doing things differently in his third tour of duty of Notre Dame. And it was interesting because he didn't really, I mean, he came up, and mentioned some smaller things like, you know, relocating back to the Midwest. He's from Michigan. His wife is from Buffalo. So they're all used to snow. And um, there were some other factors, obviously financially, but his belief in Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame and its ability to win their ability to win a national title really drove this decision. And it's so interesting to me given the backdrop of Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame for LSU, maybe for some of the opposite reasons, thinking it would be easier to win at LSU um, and maybe it wasn't possible at Notre Dame anymore. And yet the offensive coordinator leaves both Brian Kelly and LSU to come to Notre Dame. Now, he didn't say it was easier to win at Notre Dame. Right. Definitely felt like it was possible and that's his driving passion that's his calling for being here is to help Notre Dame win one of these and I thought that was interesting yeah it blends in with the head coaching thing which I wrote a column about this that was my lead on Friday was when he left in 20 after the 2016 season a lot of people wrote and because people wrote this thought he had been fired. He didn't get fired. He, what he did lose was offensive play calling duties. Brian Kelly was going to give that to a new offensive coordinator. Mike Denbrock could have stayed on with the same salary, the same titles, wide receivers coach, associate head coach. But at that time, he wanted to be a head coach, and he kind of bet on himself and went to a Cincinnati program with Luke Fickle that really had taken a bad left turn toward irrelevancy and worse um, with under Tommy Tuberville and under Luke Fickle, they came back. And then part of that was Marcus Freeman being the defensive coordinator there and uh, Mike Denbrock being the offensive coordinator there, Gino Gadulli being the quarterback's coach there and Mike Brown for a time being wide receivers coach. And obviously Mike Mickens was there for a while too, as the cornerbacks coach came to Notre Dame the year before Mike, uh, before Marcus Freeman did. So that whole dynamic to me, I thought was incredibly interesting because I, I have felt that Mike Denbrock, if he's not the best offensive coordinator in college football, he's certainly in that top tier. But it's always interesting to me what motivates people and what's driving him is this quest to get Notre Dame a national championship. And I just thought this isn't just really interesting for fans that want to hear good things about Notre Dame. This is really um, an interesting dynamic about how this is all going to work. Yeah. I think, I think when the news first comes out or like his first, first floated, even as an idea, we start reporting on, Hey, Mike Denbrock might actually give this some thought. People are like, well, why would you do that? Why would you leave LSU? You you just uh, created a Heisman Trophy winner. Things are rolling on offense, and obviously they get, you got to try to do it again, which can be a hard thing to do. But why would he leave LSU to come to Notre Dame, especially as someone who was already as highly paid as he was? Um, and I think what you would say, um, I, to not put words in your mouth, but I think, I think people that would doubt that didn't really know Mike Dembrock. Like, they didn't know what right. – why, why they didn't understand that he does have that attachment to Notre Dame and that Notre Dame is that important to him and that he does see this. And, and obviously the Marcus Freeman connection is important as well. Um, and so I, I thought I thought it was kind of fascinating to see him sort of discuss those 
things. And I, I, Jeffrey Stevens has a comment here. Denbrock wasn't shy about throwing some shade toward Kelly and the reasons for leaving. I, he certainly didn't throw like out, outright shade. I think the thing that I thought was maybe the most, um, at least I re- it read into being the most alluding to Kelly was like talking about head coaches that want to have roles or voices in the offense. And that felt like a Kelly thing to me. Um, and uh, he, he, he appreciates the opportunity to be like the real ownership of this offense um, as Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. Um, and so I, I thought that was interesting. Was there anything that you read into Mike Denbrock's comments that were Brian Kelly related that you were like, Oh, that's, that's a, that's a Brian Kelly comment. I mean, I didn't feel like he was being disrespectful. I mean, these guys have been close for decades. They were roommates when they were both grad assistants at Grand Valley State. Mm-hmm. They ate ramen noodles together. Brian Kelly's dad sent care packages to them because he felt so bad about how little money they were making at that time, and he worried Brian was going to waste away to nothing. Um, and they and they've been together you know, three different, or they've been together. Yeah. It's been three different times at grand Valley at Notre Dame and Mike Denbrock too. And then at LSU, um, they weren't together at Cincinnati when Brian was at Cincinnati. Um, so I, I don't think he's throwing shade at Brian Kelly as much as he's saying, this is, what I believe in, this is where I want to be. It's not so much, well, Brian Kelly's this purple boy matched his shirt. Yeah, I think like I think that. some people take it that way because, like, Brian Kelly is the opposite. It's a place where, obviously, he doesn't want to be anymore, like what you're getting at right. from the start, that Brian Kelly left because he felt he could, in theory, win a national championship at LSU, easy with, and there was a route there that was maybe not clear to him at Notre Dame. Um, and whereas Mike Denbrock's making the opposite decision, so it sort of comes now again. I I still think there's some of that is Brian Kelly's posturing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, Brian Kelly lived and breathed for so long. I'm gonna I'm gonna overcome this, and here's how I'm gonna go about doing this. And I do think that that storyline, even though that he said it in a bar to or bar slash restaurant in Baton Rouge to Carter Carl's. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of this was motivated by money and ego and that, you know, the giving up on Notre Dame certainly was a byproduct, but I don't know that it drove completely the decision. Not when you build your forever house just the year before a mile from campus and call it your forever house. That just doesn't, never squared with me, but I don't want to get too much into the, down the Brian Kelly rabbit hole uh, because he's not here. And this is really about where Notre Dame has a chance to go. Now I will get the, I have to share with the, you don't, if you're anybody that has my phone number, don't ever text me at three in the morning because you're mad at Brian Kelly, which is what happened last night. Oh jeez! All right, and, well, it, it, and it shook me up. It's like you know, I thought it was one of my kids. You know, so all right. Well, I know. I think I think this question was one you asked Mike Denbrock. I thought it was a good question. So maybe, hopefully, I'm not giving you credit for some what someone else did. But I think you asked Mike Denbrock about how he's a better offensive coordinator and play caller um, from the last time he was at Notre Dame. What, what, what did you think of how he answered that? And can you explain to the, our viewers what, what he said? I'm not sure if I asked that question. I asked a lot. Um, but it certainly was on my list of things to ask. So I'll at least telepathically. (laughs) Um, he talked about going and having a chance to not have the driver's ed teacher with the extra break. I, I think, you know, getting a chance to make his own mistakes, make the offense more Mike Denbrock's offense than I'm running Brian Kelly's offense, and I hope mm-hmm. I do a good job. And 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 he was able to do that at Cincinnati, and then he was able to still do that at LSU. And yes, the head coach should have input right. into what's going on on the field, but Mike was really able to grow into who he wants to be and not an extension of Brian Kelly. And I think 
there's nothing wrong with what Brian Kelly did as an offensive coordinator and as a play caller, but I did this very semi-scientific um, survey of all the play callers from the 2000s and how they fared against defenses, you know, if they generally uh, outperformed, the offense outperformed what that defense average gave up in points or yards. And Mike Denbrock was by far the most successful um, in both of those counts. Brian Kelly was really successful at Cincinnati, not as successful as Mike Denbrock at Notre Dame, but Brian Kelly at Notre Dame was not. And you can tell, you could, you could infer that it was because of all the other things that were on Brian Kelly's plate when he right. was the play caller that weren't on his plate at Cincinnati. And, and he and I had a lot of discussions about that early in his time at Notre Dame. And certainly when he finally gave the reins over to Mike Denbrock right at the end of the 2014 season, the music city bowl was Mike Denbrock's first game, not as, you know, was kind of supposed to be secret. And then he was the play caller in 2015 and 2016. So, yeah, I, I think that is really interesting. And just for me, the way he talks about certain concepts was different for me and some things the same. But, for example, the way he thinks about the running game um, was mm -hmm. different than what he was like when he was here in 2010 to 2016. Also, what he thinks about running quarterbacks. Now, I think I'm not sure that Mike and I had a lot of deep discussions about it because that's what Notre Dame had at the time. So there right. wasn't an alternative to that. Yeah, when they first got here, um, Tommy Reese and Dane Crist were the quarterbacks, and then they immediately recruited Everett Golson with the thought this is the direction that they wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Mike was an offensive coordinator at that time. It was Charlie Molnar, and then it was Chuck Martin. And so by the time Mike was calling plays, you know, they had gone through the Golson, Malik Zaire, and we're getting into the Deshaun Kaiser years. So we never really had deep discussions about that. But, but he felt like a quarterback who can use his legs is compulsory to winning. Not necessarily the deciding factor, not necessarily, you know, the, the centerpiece of the offense, but a necessary part of the offense to, to make you to be able to function. And he didn't, he didn't say that Sam Hartman wasn't that. Now, if he, I'm sure if we pressed him, he would say Tommy Reese was not that. <laughs> well, no, he even said that so, so, there were a couple games where Sam did. Like he went out and made yeah. – like I, he talked about watching the Duke game, so I'm sure that's what right. he had in mind when he said, well, yeah, there were times last year when Sam Hartman went ahead and did that. He wasn't able to do that in some crucial moments against Ohio State. Correct. Um, but, but did get that job done uh, to help them lead that game-winning drive against Duke. And, um, yeah, he had some moments later in the season where he was – making plays with his legs, even in the Clemson game when he was struggling a bit, it was, was running um, a little bit. So um, that became more part of the offense, I think out of necessity rather than game plan. It seemed like um, for the Irish last season. In in the, in the idea I got out of Mike is, you know, when he was here last time running a certain percentage of the time, I mean, mm -hmm. Not, not that he's like, oh, well, we're only at 42%. We need to get that up. But that that carries were important. The number of carries were important. Now I think efficiency is important. Yards right. per carry is a bigger number for him than how many times you carry. And he said, I think people took it a little bit literal, uh, too literal. He said, we may throw it 50 times. Yeah, I saw some people get excited about that. Yeah, they're like, oh. <laughs> No, I mean, there are people that are excited both ways. Um, and, uh, but what he's trying to say is they're going to lean into whichever uh, facet is going to help them win the game. And he believes, and I don't think he believed before that throwing 50 times a game could ever win you a football game or certainly not 
that wasn't the easiest way to do it. He wants to be able to do both and do both well. Mm -hmm. And I think the quarterbacks Notre Dame has on its roster, especially the one who I think will be the number one quarterback at the end of spring, Riley Leonard, I think this is an ideal kind of quarterback for Mike Denbrock to inherit. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And he was asked some questions about Riley Leonard, and he's, he started talking about Riley. He was asked like, some questions about Buffalo too. <laughs> he, well, not, not particularly good ones. Um, Riley, he was asked about. <laughs> the only good Buffalo questions are Buffalo Wings questions. Exactly. Go ahead. Um, he was asked about. Riley Leonard and started to talk about him. And then I, I think he realized like, well, Hey, I better not talk just about Riley Leonard because I have some other guys here. We're technically in a quarterback competition and Steve Angeli's in the mix. Um, and so he talked more broadly about, about running quarterbacks and having the ability to do that. And um, the quarterbacks that, that Notre Dame has um, like you were saying with the, with the running backs or the running game, he was talking about, Hey, we're going to put guys in in positions to win in the running game. Like, like we're not going to pound our head against the wall. I think was the uh, the phrase that he run into eight and nine man fronts. Yeah. Um, so um, Notre Dame sort of invited those fronts at times with some of its formations last year and its lack of playmakers at receiver. That was the thing I wanted to ask Mike about, but I I knew that we wouldn't necessarily get a very good answer because the guys haven't even practiced for him yet. But the receivers right. running around at Notre Dame are not the receivers he had at LSU. Um, he's going to have two guys probably drafted in the first round um, out of LSU in this year's draft. Um, and that, that's not to mention the talent that will continue to develop there in, in coming years. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm curious to get his assessment for those wide receivers once he gets to see them in action and and how they – how their ability impacts what he wants to wants to do with his offense as well. Yeah. The, the thing that I really like about Mike as a wide receivers coach, when he did coach that position was he was not shy about getting young receivers on the field and he was able to get them on the field, not all the time, but a lot of them, Kevin Stefferson comes to mind as a guy that he was able to get on the field as a freshman. Unfortunately, Kevin Stefferson's habits off the field didn't allow him to have a very good college career, but his on-field habits were very good. Okay, do we have uh, any questions or comments we need to hit, or we want to roll into Max Bullen? Was there anything that we left out of the Mike Denbrock conversation? Um, I don't know that oh, we left. Go ahead. I the one thing, one point I wanted to make was, and I asked him about this late in the conversation was how was he going to split his time? Um, and he is going to really have an effect on all the position groups on offense, even to the point that they've hired a grad assistant to coach tight ends when he's dealing with the other position groups. He was like that when he was here before he was the play caller, not so much in all the position groups, but he definitely had a relationship with the quarterback. He and Deshaun Kaiser had a close relationship, but I feel like he feels like he can make, that's a lot of feelings, that he can make <laughs> a big difference in um, offensive line play, for example. And uh, so I'm, I'm really eager to kind of see him moving around and, and working with the other positions in addition to the tight ends. Yeah, and then that'll, that that sort of lends to my point about well, what's he think of his receivers once he actually sees what they can do um, this spring. Okay, let's get to some of the questions. I can't wait to see what they can do either because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of new ones. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're gonna. A lot of us are gonna be doing a lot of learning. Um, let's get to some of the questions that have been submitted. Tony Crosser said, "So there was all this to do last week about Notre Dame not getting a buy, even if they are ranked." Number one, but wasn't that the case a year ago? Why was it news now? Because let me let me put this diplomatically. Because <laughs> some people just fall asleep and aren't paying attention and aren't very good journalists. That's the best way to put it. Because there was nothing new about that, right? Um, now, there could be some new elements coming up because 
the SEC and the Big Ten are talking about, you know, wanting automatic qualifiers, multiple qualifiers, which would shrink the at-large pool. But yeah, we've already had this discussion. We've already had this debate. Right. And that it was brand new. I guess it was on, I don't know, ESPN or. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean. And, and, and we got the, is Notre Dame relevant thing? It's like, are you yeah, kidding me? Well, last time that was discussed, Notre Dame went to the national championship game. So maybe, maybe that's good news for Notre Dame. I think that was Rick Riley inspired the two, 2012 run. So. Uh, maybe that uh, that'll be a good thing for for Notre Dame this season, but I, it, it's lazy journalism. Yeah, so well, so what's going on with college football right? What now. happened is the five plus seven thing was officially announced that the changing of the conference automatic qualifiers was reduced from six to five. That was officially passed, so press releases were sent out about that, and then that information that's in there, people pick up. Oh yeah, Notre Dame can't do that. Now, did they know that that was not news, or did they not? I don't. I can't speak for that. Um, for them on that, I think there was one. Well, if they did, it's almost worse. There's, there's that they're raising a big fuss about it. Not readers, but people in our. Well, here's the thing, and I think I want to say Douglas Farmer might have been the first one that I saw mention this. Is like there are people that are on Twitter that are just tweeting things to get engagements because you get paid by Twitter by getting engagements. That's how Twitter works now. If you pay for the blue check and you want to get engagements. Now, if you tweet something ridiculous about Notre Dame or point something out about Notre Dame, people are going to engage that. There's <laughs> Because that's why Notre Dame isn't irrelevant, because there's plenty of people that are going to interact with you when you talk about Notre Dame. And then I think that gets hot on social media. So then the producers at, ES, at ESPN are like, hey, this is what everyone's talking about online. Why don't we talk about it? And then they all take their turns at uh, sharing their opinions, whether um, they're well-informed or not. So um that's just how it goes in late february when football is over and when when, when it was all-star our star break things happening in courts about yeah. ncaa not being able to enforce its own rules and labor unions possibly coming to college yeah there's nothing going on come <laughs> up with this garbage well in terms of the pro sports the nfl was off or it's obviously over the nba was on its all-star break um, and so I think that all combined to having a whole lot of nothing to talk about for people who aren't very, who aren't very creative. Um, Why couldn't or, they or talk smart. about Taylor Swift? Just kidding. Well, that, that they could have do shows on that every day of the week, Eric. You know, what's funny about, I'll, I'll say this, here's my position on Taylor Swift. You know, you and I have a battle about whether the Ramones or Taylor Swift is the better music. However, yeah. I will say this. None of that stuff with Taylor Swift and the NFL bothers me at all. I think it's funny. <laughs> I think it's cool that she's up there rocking with uh, Kelsey's mom in the in the luxury box. I'd yeah. like to be up there with them doing this stuff. Yeah, everyone, everyone's got an opinion. Um, so, yeah, Tony, that, that's why it happened. I mean, that's the best explanation we can give you for why it was a discussion. Um and I know it might might be it might make you feel even dumber for hearing it, but <laughs> I think that's that's the only reason why it came about. Um, Jeffrey Stevens has a recruiting question, and I, we can throw it in here. Um, it's, it seems like there are a lot of offers out for 2026 quarterbacks. Is this an accurate take? And how many do you try as the candidate, or how do you try as the candidates? Um, there are, I mean, there's not a ton out there. The every sense that I've gotten when I ask around about 2026 quarterbacks is that Notre Dame's still trying to figure out who it likes the most. It's it, they felt it was a little early, and that was part of what Notre Dame was doing in the contact period in in or January was going out and seeing some more kids throw um, and extending offers to. Um, they've sent, I think, extended at least one or two offers um, since that time. I just edited a story on one. Um, and and so some guy and then some guys will get on campus. So I don't, there's not like a clear front runner in terms of who is most likely to end up at Notre Dame. Ryder Lyons is someone that Notre Dame likes a lot, and I think he likes Notre Dame too. Troy Hoon is I think the one the story that you read most recently. Yeah. Um, that's I think that's the newest offer for Notre Dame. Um, and Brady uh, Smigel is a guy that visited for Junior Day in January. Brady Hart is another. Um, guy out of Florida that is uh, planning to get up here, um, I think in March or April. Um, so there, there's a number of different offers out there. I think it's 
I mean, if, if the people that know more than me are telling me that's too early to say, then I, I I'll, I'll, I'll repeat their lines. But I think those are some of those are the, the names to know right now. Um, and certainly things can evolve and change as we move forward. And their name gets a read on who likes them and who they like the most as well. All right. That's all the questions I got, Eric. Okay. We're going to roll into Max Bola. Max Bola, um, off-campus recruiting will be a difference. He was already involved when prospect visited, visit prospects visited. How do you think he will do as a recruiter that's doing it full time? And he had kind of a funny anecdote about not knowing where he was going when he was going to these schools. Yeah. So the off-campus, like Eric mentioned, the off-campus recruiting, he actually did get to do. Um, for a couple weeks towards the end of the, the contact period because Al Golden was off the road. Um, and so that gave him an opportunity to do that um, prior to this promotion. That the, Those two things weren't necessarily related, but this will be something he'll be asked to do the next time the contact period comes around. Um, so, yeah, he got a chance to do that. And like, like you mentioned, he was interacting with recruits there on campus and even having phone calls, discussions with guys too. So it wasn't like he's – totally new to recruiting, but I think this will be more of him having more ownership in it um, and being able to develop what he, what he likes and what he, what he wants at, at, at linebacker. Um, I asked him a few recruiting questions. Cause I was just curious what his stance were was and how he feels about it. He, he, I think my sense of what he said and my understanding of him is that he's more of a no nonsense guy. He's not, going to try to act like someone he's not he's not going to like try to fit in with the recruit just because that's the cool thing to do i think he's going to be pretty straightforward i think he'll resonate with guys that really love football and, and really want to be great linebackers and those that those are the kind of guys that he's looking for he cares about the game and making them better and being a coach um and so that's what that's what he's going to present those guys with now obviously he's he'll be well versed on how to pitch guys on what the academic opportunities and all those things off the field that can come uh, at Notre Dame, but um, he seems like a definite a, a big like football first guy. Um, not in the not in the like football versus academics side of things, but like in terms of personality, he's a football first guy. Um, yeah, and then probably off away from football family first. He said he never he never has a, a relaxing moment. <laughs> There's always something going on with him, either his family uh, or or football. So he's uh, always always going. Um, and, and I do I do think that that. He'll be able to carve out a good role for himself as a recruiter. And linebacker is one of the more interesting positions for Notre Dame in the 2025 class. There are a lot of top-notch linebackers that are considering the Irish. If you looked at, I think it was Adam Gorney had a top 10 linebackers rundown. Um, and I think there were four or five guys maybe that are considering Notre Dame to some degree. Um, and that's top 10 linebackers nationally. Um, so I, I think that that there's a lot um, – to look at there for um, Max Bola and what, what he's going to be able to get. And they, they need to get some guys on campus and continue to, to whittle the list down and get some real favorites there, because I don't know that anyone has a, has a good sense of where it's going to head. He reminds me of um, personality wise, a little bit of Chris Spielman, uh, former okay. all American linebacker at Ohio state. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I remember interviewing Chris when he was kind of in the running for the Heisman. He didn't get as high as Manti Teo did, but I remember interviewing him and he was talking about how much he loved playing football. And I, I believe Chris, when he said this, he said that he made this like baloney necklace so that his dog would try to tackle him. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard that story. That's funny. Yeah. A so baloney necklace. All right. There, there's there's an element of that to to Max. I think that he is kind of that linebacker that's just kind of on the edge. That yeah, you want him to play linebacker from you. You're not sure if you can trust him to water your plants on vacation, <laughs> but um, but I think he's going to be really good in recruiting. I think he's going to. Um, kids are going to find him exciting and very genuine, and I I like that. Oh, about our conversations. I, I should add, I, I asked him like, do you? So do you? 
rely on your playing career at all? Do you talk about that? He said, never. He doesn't do yeah. that at all. <laughs> He's like, well, but Chad Bowden and those guys do. They'll, 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 they'll make sure that the guys know about my playing career. And he's like, I don't do it because there's always someone better. And he's right. Like, he's like, Hey, I'm going to be recruiting against James Laurinaitis at Ohio state. He had a better pro career than I did. Um, so it's not, I'm sure it's, it's important and it will inform him as a teacher, but as a recruiter, he's not, he's not using that as, as like, Hey, come play for me. Cause look what I did as a player. Um, he, he wants to be able to show them what he's done as a coach. Um, and because he played such a heavy role in, in Notre Dame's linebackers last season, he can point to what J.D. Bertrand, Maris Leofau, and Jack Kaiser did last year as as uh, examples of what he can do as a coach. Jeffrey, thank you for the comment. Um, I thought one of the more interesting roads we went down with Max was the roles for some of the linebackers and some of his ideas for players because they were – I don't want to say they didn't line up with what Al Golden said, but there's a lot more detail and there's a lot of these young linebackers that weren't really in the picture as, as firmly as they are now, because it was, you know, Bertrand Marist and, and uh, Kaiser. And now you have all these other guys that are coming up. So what jumped out at you about some of those conversations? Yeah. I mean, at first, and I, I feel like this is a little bit different than what Al Golden talked about. I think I feel like he would always talk about like everyone's learning everything, but Max was like, "No, the young guys, we're going to give them one role, and they're going to learn that first. Yeah. And then when we get a sense for that, they can learn that. Then we can see if they can do something else." Um, I I think that that makes sense to me. Um, now yeah. maybe that's not that different from what Al Golden was doing, and Al Golden was just like trying to not give us specifics about what they were doing. Um, but uh, I do like that idea. Um, he talks a little bit about like who's in will depend on where they're lined up. Like if if Jack Kaiser or Drake Bowen are in the game, like who else is out there with them will probably determine where they're playing. Um, maybe Jack Kaiser more than Drake Bowen because I think Jack probably has more versatility than Drake Bowen. But those two are certainly can play together. Like they can play Jack Kaiser and Drake Bowen together. Um, if Drake Bowen's out there with Jalen Snead, obviously you would you would anticipate. Um, Drake Bowen at the mic and and Jalen Snead at the will, and certainly it would matter matter what sort of defense they're using if it's an it's a base defense or nickel defense, um, and uh, got some clarity on some of the terminology that they use um, for the essentially the mic and will linebackers when they're in the nickel nickel defense they call the mic the Mac and the will the money and I know the money is a term that I've heard recruits talk about and I was like I'm honestly not not sure what they're talking about here. Um, and so that is, uh, something you thought that, it was NIL. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so, so those were some of the things that stood out to me. Um, he was high on Jaden Osbury as someone that hasn't, um, done much publicly yet. Um, and even, uh, didn't get a lot a chance to do a lot of practice, uh, when he was sent to the scout team at times. And, um, he, he likes what he, he can do in the future. And, um, those are the things that stood out to me about his his sort of comments about the players and their roles. What about you, Eric? Well, a couple things. First, he mentioned that Jack Kaiser, he thought, was one of the most improved defensive players on the team. Um, and this is a guy that's played a lot of football, and he talked about how he's filled out. He's 230 now, shows good speed. He really thinks that, people are going to see a different Jack Kaiser this year and PFF pro football focus was in, has been in love with Jack Kaiser for a long time. But I think what, what Max was trying to say is he has really become an every down linebacker and, and is a better version of himself. And the other, the other guys that he talked about that really intrigued me were Kingston, Viliamuasa. Kahanu Kia and Drake Bowen. It sounds like he's pretty impressed with Drake Bowen. Uh, feels like the baseball, doubling up in baseball, isn't going to hurt him. He actually thinks it'll help him. And he cheered on uh, Drake coming at that catcher and sliding head first as a pinch runner in the season opening series with Rice. Um, and he seems to have high expectations for what Kingston Viliamu Asa will be able to accomplish in spring football. Hmm. Kahanu Kia 
he loves what he's going to bring to the table, but you you definitely got the feel that there is a re-entry period ahead for Kahanu after not playing football for two years and not mm-hmm. even really watching it for two years. Yeah, um, I, and I think I mean that's understandable. But he, I mean, he's he's seemed very familiar with what Kahanu did before, even though Max wasn't here when Kahanu was here last, um, and and was excited about what, what he's going to bring to them. And um, Jalen Seed was someone that he's like, hey, if Jalen Seed is focusing on everything he needs to focus on and getting yeah. the details right, that that that's when he plays his best. And so it's just a matter of getting that out of him, and um, we'll see if if this is the year that finally clicks for Jalen Snead as a linebacker, because his biggest impact for most of the season last year was as a third down rush down specialist where he's more rushing the passer than he was playing a traditional linebacker role. And we'll see if he can get back to some more traditional linebacker um, this coming season. Yeah. One thing we didn't get to ask him was about the linebackers that aren't here yet. Bodie Cahoon Mm -hmm. and uh, Teddy Rezac, who will, join in June. A, cu- a couple last things to wrap up the Max conversation. Uh, do you feel like this was the best move for Notre Dame when Chris O'Leary left? Uh, I, I think so. Now, I mean, I don't know. Like, if in theory, I would need to know who could they have brought in as safeties coach. And I, here's the thing. And when we talk about position coaches, we I, I, I personally – don't know if these guys are going to be any good, even if they, I mean, you can see their track record and sometimes it it follows along with their track record. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, And so I, I, and I don't know, I don't even know that they went down that road very far. I think they were pretty convinced that this, Marcus Freeman was pretty convinced that this was what they wanted to do. Um, Max was like, I was, I was behind the scenes seeing what CEO, that's what they call Chris O'Leary. Uh, what he was doing because as soon as as soon as I he called made his, Carol Owens CEO of the <laughs> women's basketball system, but go ahead. As soon as as soon as Chris O'Leary made his decision, he was like calling up Marcus Freeman because he's like, "Hey, you don't know. They want a coach on his staff." And he name dropped Mike Vrabel, and we laughed. He's like, "You guys are laughing, but you you really don't know." And it, it's funny. I have a, a random uh, um, Mike Vrabel anecdote about that. Uh, well, not about that, but um, that it was funny that Mike Vrabel came up in a Notre Dame conversation. I was, I was talking to someone at Notre Dame about Ethan Utley, who they recently offered, and I mentioned Ethan Utley to Notre Dame a couple of years ago when I saw him at a rivals camp. And then, so then I came around, I was like, "Hey, remember when I told you about Ethan Utley?" And he's like, "Hey, you can take credit for him if you want, but Mike Vrabel's the one who told us about him." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay, I would take his word over mine too." So <laughs> I was like, "Well, at least I got a good eye for talent." If Mike Vrabel thinks this kid's good, so um, I think. Uh, and Ethan Utley's a 2025 defensive lineman. Uh, for people, who probably have no idea who he is, but um, he's from the, I believe, the Nashville area. So that's probably how Mike Vrabel ran across him. Um, as someone who was the Tennessee Titans head coach and I believe hasn't found another job yet. I don't know that he has lined up his next line of work. I I would have to imagine if he takes a year off and then gets back as a head coach. I, I thought he was a good head coach. I'm sort of surprised at how things ended with the Tennessee Titans, but we're veering into territory where Eric doesn't have much expertise in terms of the NFL game, so I don't want to sidetrack us there. Um, it's it's. I would say – I used to be an NFL diehard, but I work Sundays during the college football season and I can't keep up with it. So there are a lot of details. I follow the Notre Dame guys and I know who's good and I'll watch the playoffs, but during the regular season, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. And it's going to get even harder to watch the NFL playoffs with the the college football playoff. The way it's going to be lengthening. Um, the other thing that's interesting about Max, I mean, personally, and I think most people would agree, especially Notre Dame fans, um, that his family history with Notre Dame, uh, his mother graduated from Notre Dame. His grandfather, Jim Morris, was a, ca- a captain for Notre Dame, and he uh, unfortunately passed away this past fall. Um, and so he he said, like, he thinks it's really, really special for his mom right now when she's dealing with the loss of her father, that this place that they both held so dearly is – is, is is where Max is going to continue to be. Um, and Max has talked to us before about how he liked Notre Dame as a kid too, but Michigan State was just where he ended up um, following his dad's path rather than his mom's path. Um, and uh, they all, he joked like we all, all the grandkids let, let 
his grandpa down by not going to Notre Dame, but now he's he's making up for it. So that, I thought that was a pretty cool story. All right. We are going to roll into recruiting. Yeah, and if anyone yeah. has any questions, don't be shy. Send us some questions, and we'll, we'll get to them before we get out of here. Okay, so Rivals, which is the organization that we're affiliated with, is revealing some new five stars this week and refreshing its top 250, its positional rankings and state rankings. Notre Dame continues to be ranked number one with a nation's high 17 commitments, right? I wrote 16, but it's 17. Yeah, it just keeps growing. So so you unveiled the heat index for the 2025 class of Notre Dame prospects and targets. Just what is that? How does it work? And what can you share about what you've published so far? Yeah, so the heat index is something we came up with last year um, that always uh, res- lives on the Insider Lounge, our premium message board um, for our subscribers. Um, and it's a position by position breakdown of Notre Dame's remaining targets in the class um, placed on a heat scale that I sort of made up a little bit inspired by like a, a hot wing scale with the lowest level being plain, plain wings. Uh, I don't use the word wings, but that's how I think of it at least. Um so a plain heat rating would be someone that is it's just too early to say. Um, like, for instance, um, the, the athlete that Notre Dame uh, offered out of Georgia last week, I think his name's Dalen Penson. Um, it's just too early to say. Like, I think he'll end up visiting Notre Dame and all that, but you, can, I, you can't really put a heat rating on a kid like that. Um, and then the opposite end is extremely hot. And those are usually guys that I uh, expect to commit to Notre Dame and, and – Typically, if not always, I have a rival's future cast in for them. Um, and so that's sort of the scale I put them on. There's there's varying degrees. I think it goes plain, mild, medium, hot, extremely hot. So um, You don't have the bomb beyond it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I, I, uh, I would need some uh, ad revenue from uh, from Hot Ones to do that. Or they'd probably come at me for copyright infringement. But um so, so that's what we've been doing. Last week, I I went, I did all of the offensive positions. Today was we started with defensive end on the defensive side, and we'll get through all the de- defensive position groups this week. So then, by the end of this week, you'll have the full scope of what what Notre Dame's looking at remaining in the twenty twenty five class. Um, I think it's I think it's informative, and we constantly update it. So whenever th- anything something changes will will update their heat rating if there's something significant in the recruitment um if maybe someone commit maybe they commit somewhere else i, I know like uh just tonight uh devin williams a cornerback out of georgia that Notre Dame was going at going after uh committed to auburn um and i hadn't done the cornerback story i i, I would have had him around a, a hot rating not extremely hot but hot um so that that is a little bit of a blow for notre dame um but I'll, I'll be unveiling the rest of the defensive guys this week. So that if people haven't aren't subscribers, haven't checked that out, I would encourage them to do so. Um, and hopefully it's a, of some value and some use to folks. And I mean, it's just, a, you can just scroll through it and look through the names and it's sort of, instead of like looking through all the guys Notre Dame's offered, you can just sort of look through the guys that we're telling you Notre Dame's continuing to go after. And those guys are continuing to show interest in Notre Dame. When is the, um rivals 250 gonna come out is that it'll, tomorrow at noon yeah it'll be tomorrow at noon correct okay all and right so we'll and, see we'll see how notre dame's commits fair okay and anything else you need to tell us about the heat index before we move on to Jerome no, Bettis no, Jr. I, no i think i think i think that's it i mean maybe just to uh promote it and to, to tell people that i know what i'm talking about uh for instance dalen mccutcheon released a top eight, I don't know if it was over the weekend, I think, um, and mm-hmm. Notre Dame wasn't in it. And I did not include Dalen McCutcheon in my heat index because I heard heard that Notre Dame wasn't really in the mix there anymore. Um, and so you might hear that name being discussed elsewhere, but I I was of the belief and, and had been informed you didn't that – have him playing. He wasn't <laughs> even a wing. He wasn't even a wing. Yeah, no, he wasn't – he was he was described as a previous target um, that had visited, and he was someone that wanted to visit – um, it expressed plans to visit in this in January, but that never happened, and so that that essentially became the the end of his his Notre Dame recruitment. Okay, so Rivals National Analyst John Garcia checked in with Jerome Bettis Jr. 
and we have that on our website today. What did we learn from John Garcia about Jerome Jr.? Yeah, Jerome went on the record and said that he's he's getting close to making a commitment decision. Uh, he mentioned March or April as months that he was looking at. Um, getting back to our heat index, I we did receivers last week. Jerome Bettis Jr. was listed as extremely hot on my heat rating um, because he's someone I have a future cast prediction in for Notre Dame. Um, and I think the clock is ticking a bit uh, for Jerome Bettis Jr. Uh, to make a decision because Notre Dame is already has two wide receiver commitments. It's trying to get to four. I, I've, I've said before that I think that they may may push to five if the right fifth person wants in, uh, if they can get the right combination there. Um, I, 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 I would be shocked if Jerome Bettis Jr., doesn't end up in Notre Dame's class. It's he's the he's he's the most committed, uncommitted recruit, I would say, um, uh, that Notre Dame is going after. Uh, he visits Notre Dame all the time, and that's not just because of his dad. Um, I think he he's really interested in, in coming to Notre Dame uh, for his career, and it's just a matter of him finalizing that decision and, and being content with making that decision. And so um, we'll see if and when he does that here in the next couple months. Anything else on recruiting? We already mentioned Troy Hune's offer. Anything? And the Pot of Gold Day is coming up on March 17th. So there will be all kinds of 2026 offers. So that cycle really gets a boost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that'll be, uh, I mean, that's a big day. We chase all the offers. And uh, a, a lot of it is, it, it has become this tradition for Notre Dame recruiting. And some of these guys sort of already know they're getting offered, but it's like, hey, wait till Pot of Gold Day, and we'll, we'll make a big deal out of it. And so, um, a lot of these guys are, are people that Notre Dame have been talking to. So it's not like they're just striking up a conversation for the first time on Pot of Gold Day. But um, Notre Dame wants to put some, uh, make it a little bit special um, this, this celebration of Notre Dame recruiting, and and it's using its Irish connections to to use St. Patrick's Day for that. So um, that'll be something that. I'll, It'll come up there, and and in March we'll start getting guys on campus for uh, for spring visits um, that we'll start monitoring of of what they're thinking. If there's guys that are getting closer to decisions and whatnot, um, and then I think the 2026 class um, will, will be a part of those visitors too, or there'll be more and more guys in that future class getting on campus. And their name can turn more and more focused there as its 2025 class keeps getting bigger and bigger because there's only so many spots that they can. They can dole out in, in the 2025 class. Okay. Do we need to hit any questions before we move on to NBC's decision? Um, yeah, we can do this one from Jeffrey Stevens. Regarding the recent storming the court incident, do you think Notre Dame will have a change of policy for basketball and football? Do Micah Shrewsbury and Marcus Freeman have an opinion? I'll let you go first there. Um, I, I don't know that Notre Dame will. I mean – Unless the ACC, as it relates to basketball, makes some sort of does something different to to force the issue, I think I I don't know I I think it's all anytime that amount of people try to get into one place, there's going to be a chance for bad things to happen. But Notre Dame has been pretty fortunate that nothing serious has happened in any of their issues, and I think there's some confidence that they have plans around those things. So. I have no idea if Marcus Shrewsbury, Marcus Freeman have opinions. I, I, I mean, Marcus Freeman's been a part of some field stormings, right? And he didn't seem like he was uh, afraid of that in any way or anything like that. So um, I, I, I don't. Obviously, the, they they want to make sure that their players and coaches stay safe, and the fans as well too. But um, have the fans stormed? the court at Purcell Pavilion since Mike has been the coach? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I, I don't know that there's been a, a moment that has warranted a, a stork corming uh, in, in Mike Shrewsbury's first <laughs> a season. stork corming? Oh, court <laughs> storming. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's That's a bunch, like there's my bunch, Cody Bahoon. There's a bunch of storks that start coming out of the stands. <laughs> for my opinion on this is I do think it's something you need to look at. I just don't know how you get your hands around it. I mean, they've been talking about this being a problem since I became a sports writer. And that's like a hundred years ago. <laughs> uh, you know, before I had any children or grandchildren, they were talking about this being a problem. There are 
places where it's more a problem than others and some where it used to be a problem for the media that at Michigan State was awful. These kids would come climbing out of the stands. They would stomp your laptops. I had seen a guy get his laptop stomped, so I knew to get mine out of the way before they came over the top there. And I just kind of waited for them to go past me before I decided to walk toward the interviews. Uh, but, it, you know, I think that you can have protocols in place to make it safe for the visiting team and the visiting coach. Um, but I think it's harder to, to control with football than it is for basketball. And some of the solutions that I've seen is, okay, we'll then just arrest people when they come onto the court. I don't know. That's a lot of handcuffs, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of handcuffs. So, I mean, I, I think you can have ways to funnel the the crowd onto the court to make it safer. I haven't given it a whole lot of thought just because, it, you know, I'm just trying to make sure that I don't get stormed when I make spaghetti and meatballs and the six grandkids are hungry, um, that they don't storm the dinner table. But that that's all I've concerned with but i i do think it's a serious thing but i just don't know how you get your hands around it so i'm i'm eager to see short of arresting people and citing people that come onto the court. Dad, I, I think someone i don't remember who it was maybe it was greg Byrne or i don't know a prominent ad i think suggested well you could just make people forfeit games if you really want to get rid of it um but i don't i don't know that i, I don't know happens. that that I don't know that that will stop. I think it's just so spontaneous. And especially at football games, a lot of the people that storm the court aren't exactly sober, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or storm the field. You know, they're, they've are they got a lot of antifreeze going on. So I, I'm not sure that they're thinking, well, this could cause a forfeit now. Well, you're probably going to have to pay a lot, the security a lot more if you're tasking them with actually like taking or down you have the visiting fans storm the field to get the home team to forfeit <laughs> yeah exactly yeah start or you can start throwing mustard bottles down at lane kiffin or something right okay so uh nbc this week decided that they're going to change play-by-play announcers for their notre dame football telecasts beginning next fall and that Jack Collinsworth, a Notre Dame alum, is out. I like Jack. Um, I I understand why people maybe weren't enamored with him as a play-by-play announcer. I think he does a really good job with hosting duties. I've mm-hmm. interviewed him before, and I do like him personally. And they're going to bring Dan Hicks back. Dan did, I believe, the 2014 season, and he's done it intermittently as a fill-in. From time to time, he's married to Hannah Storm, who's a um, really good sports journalist in her own right and a Notre Dame alum. Uh, so, Tyler, were you surprised by this development? And do you think it's, for somebody that watches the replays, but probably with the sound off, do you think it's a good change? Yeah, I, yeah like you, you mentioned, I don't usually listen with the sound on, and that's usually more to be fair to Jack Collins, or that's more usually indicative of the analyst than the play-by-play guy. Cause uh, if yeah. I'm rewatching it and I want to turn it back on, I'll see if like, if there's an analyst who I really value what they're saying, I want to hear what they say. And, I, and even I'm not the huge, I'm not a huge Jason Garrett fan, but I still will like, if they're doing a replay and you can see that they're telecasting something. Cause I'll do like, after I watch the play, I'll just fast forward. I don't need to watch, go do all the post game stuff or post play stuff. Um, and, I'll listen to what Jason Garrett is saying. So I'm not necessarily tuning in to hear what Jack Collinsworth was saying or hearing his play by play, but obviously when you're watching highlights and stuff, you'll see and hear those things. Um, I, I don't, I didn't have a strong opinion, uh, uh, pro or anti Jack Collinsworth. It seems like it's a popular move with most fans. I, I, I agree with you. What you said about Jack personally. And as like a host, I think it seems like from my, from what I've experienced him, it seems like maybe that's more of a comfortable setting for him. And Notre Dame football has become this weird place on NBC, in my opinion, and that it feels like it's somewhere between a training ground and 
I mean, flatly, they've basically said it's not our number one priority, right? Our best broadcast crew is Noah Eagle and Todd Blackledge, and we're going to put them on the best game. And they, they're going to do that if it's if it's the Notre Dame game too. They that was part of the um, reporting that came out. Uh, so do you I'm, like the do you like that pairing, Noah Eagle? And, I I do, although uh, I don't I I don't know that I've listened to a lot of Todd Blackledge lately. Um, I interviewed but, him last year, but yeah, I mean, he he seems pretty bright. Um, I think Noah Eagles uh, a pretty uh, well respected play by play guy, um, and like Jack was someone that didn't have a lot of play by play experience, at least in the professional ranks or like as a as a like I'm, he probably did some in college. Is what I mean by that, not not professional as in pro sports or college sports, um, but as a paid professional i don't know how much play-by-play experience he had had i think he was doing some i think it was usfl not xfl um and now it's all combined i think it's ufl um and i don't know if he will still be doing that i don't know who has the broadcast rights to any of that these days but anyways um so like to me that's a little bit concerning as a notre dame football fan that it's not like the notre dame football broadcast crew is not the most important college football broadcast crew that nbc has right now um, not that Dan Hicks is a slouch, um, but he's, he's, he's a retread. Um, and it's not like they're like went out and got someone that was like a rising star or something like that. Um, or a established star like Mike Tirico. Oh yeah. Right. And, and, and that's, that's honestly, I mean, that's what the role was for Mike Tirico. It was sort of, he was the next in line to replace Al, Al Michaels, um, on Sunday night football. And so they let him. Uh, do some uh, do the Notre Dame job as, as sort of like this is what he will do as we wait for Al Michaels to move on, um, and so uh, I just think that there's been there's been a bit of a drop off from the Mike Tirico era um, that I think is going to be hard to top, and maybe that just put the bar too high. Um, but uh, those are my thoughts. That was pretty long winded. I think I said a lot about someone who doesn't actually watch the games live on TV, but um, uh, what would what has there been anything that's said either to you um, about these guys that has surprised you? It's the reaction. Surprised I, you I, I I knew that the uh, I knew that the feedback toward Jack as a play by play guy was negative. Darren Pritchett, my radio partner, runs a Twitter question every day, mm-hmm. and and to see how overwhelmingly overwhelming it was, and then when we put it on our message board and our subscribers were talking about it i don't remember seeing anybody defending jack and saying oh this is a travesty and that's that's a shame because again personally i like him a lot and i Uh, I do wonder like i think his pairing with jason garrett didn't help him i don't think it helped him yeah i don't think that helped so um and I, i mean it's hard when there are a lot of notre dame guys out there that are so so really good. I mean, Brady Quinn, now he's not a play-by-play guy, is outstanding. And Mike Golick Jr. is incredible. And quite honestly, I think Bob Morton would do a way better job than Jason Garrett. Yeah, I mean, that that's the, like, it, it feels like Notre Dame fans really want, they're like, hey, we have so many Notre Dame people. Like, can't we get some Notre Dame influence in there? And it felt like they're like, well, we'll give you Jack Collinsworth. And it's like, well, no, we don't want the play-by-play guy to be an Notre Dame guy. Yeah. We want the analyst to be an Notre Dame guy um, because obviously the pool is much deeper there. Um, and I think there's just more, uh, like, chances to give your opinion. Has the, I mean, that's what the job is for the color analyst to do. Um, right. And so uh, I think I, – I don't know that anything that has happened with the Notre Dame broadcast has been particularly fulfilling for – for Notre Dame football fans on the, on the whole, it seems. And I want to throw a, a, a bouquet in Evan Sharpley's direction. Probably the best line we've ever had in a podcast. I could fart a football farther than Demetrius Jones could throw it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I probably should have pulled that out, but he, Demetrius Jones might have been knocking on our door if we, we did that as the pull quote for the podcast. <laughs> All right, Eric. You want to get to anything else before we get out of here? I'm I'm good. I know that you're better at saying use code NDYT for a 30 day free trial of InsideNDSports.com. 
but I'm going to do it tonight. Thank you to Legacy Heating and Air. I hardly used my furnace today with it being in the 60s. And thanks for everybody for your comments and questions and funnies. Yeah, and we'll be back here next week, next Monday. And uh, we'll have a Inside Any Sports podcast later this week. And thanks for tuning in and have a great week.